If you are joining us today uh, for the first time, or if you are here today and you haven't been here in a while, we've been going through the book of Romans. And today we are beginning Romans 8. And, you know, I, 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 I dig in deep to the scripture. I love it. I, I spend hours and hours preparing for this. I'll listen to other people's sermons. I'll read multiple commentaries. I just, I try to absorb everything I can about a passage from the Bible before I have to preach it. And one of the things that just about every preacher and every book I read says about Romans chapter 8 is that it's like one of the best chapters in the entire Bible. And, you know, this is the eighth chapter, so we've had seven chapters come before it. And... In chapter 8, Paul ties up a lot of loose ends. He summarizes a lot of things. He'll say something in this verse or that verse that he spent a whole chapter on earlier in the book. And he assumes that we know what he's talking about because we've already read and dug into what was there. So there are so many different ideas. There are so many different connections that are being made and lines that are drawn between all the different dots on the page. What I expect over the next few weeks as we go through Romans 8, and I do not know how many weeks it's going to take us to do this, to get through chapter 8. But what I expect is that I will be preaching on smaller passages, and then we will be discussing larger passages... But there's going to be some overlap each week. Today, for our discussion, we're going to do Romans 8, 1 through 11. So today, for our discussion, we're going to do Romans 8, 1 through 11. Next week, for our discussion, we're going to do Romans 8, 5 through 17. So this week is 1 through 11. Next week is 5 through 17. So if you would, between now and next Sunday, dive into next week's passage. Get a sense of what it is that Paul is saying to us in this letter. And come next week being familiar with what's here. So with that being said, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Follow along with me, please. There is therefore now no condemnation... For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law Might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what we're going to do next is have about five minutes, approximately five minutes, where you can read the passage to yourself. So read it, get familiar with it, make some observations. You may have some questions that come up. And uh, after about five minutes, each table has a discussion leader. And so that table leader will begin the discussion when the time is right. And the discussion is based on the four questions inside of our worship guide. The first question, what does the passage say? The second question, what does the passage mean? The third question, what will I do in response? Or how does this change my life? How do we obey this passage? And the fourth question... Is there any good news worth sharing in this passage? And we ask that because this Bible and this message in the Bible of the gospel is for all people, not just for church people. So if you would, this is the word of the Lord. Take some time and jump into it yourself before the discussion begins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Last week, and throughout chapter 7, Paul was crying out for deliverance in the struggle. Chapter 8, verse 1 is clear. It is true, and it does not deny the struggle of chapter 7. I want to say to you that one of the keys to getting through the struggle that is the Christian life that Paul wrote about in chapter 7, one of the keys is chapter 8. And especially chapter 8, verse 1. Paul told us the things I hate, I do. And the things that I want to do, I don't do. And we saw over the course of the four weeks that we were in chapter 7, that that is the life of God's people. And I tell you, just as much as that struggle is real, so chapter 8 is real. You and I, who find, as Romans 7.21 said, that I find that this law or this principle to be true, that whenever I want to do good, evil is close to hand. Us, who experience that day in and day out, are not under condemnation, as Romans 8.1 declares. And it says now. It doesn't say future. It doesn't say eternity. It doesn't say when we get into heaven. You know, we don't have to live our lives going in and out of condemnation. Oh, I'm saved today. I'm not saved tomorrow, but I'm saved next week. But I'll probably do something stupid in six months and I won't be saved anymore. There's no space for that. That's not biblical. It says now. The the, the time for condemnation to end. or, Or let me say it like this. Condemnation is over now. And for the one... Who believes in Christ and is saved, it ended when you believed. So now, in this Christian life, 
There is no condemnation. There is no judgment. But it says, therefore. There is therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? I hate it when preachers say that, but I don't know how else to say it. What is the there? If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard that a hundred times. So we really have to ask, why is the word therefore there? Why is it there? Well, I believe, and, and please grab your Bibles, because you're going to need them. I, I believe that the therefore is a reference to everything that's been written so far in Romans. I really do believe it's a reference to everything that's been written so far. But let's look at just a few of the highlights of Romans 1 so far. And by the way, I'm only preaching through verse 4. If I tried to preach these first 11 verses, we'd be here till 3 o'clock. And I don't want to be here till 3 o'clock, and neither do you. Amen? Amen. All right. Got some honest people today. But look at Romans 1, 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's why there's no condemnation. God saves. And if he saves, then you're no longer guilty. And the condemnation is gone. Look at Romans chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 21. Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Y'all, that's why there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Because the righteousness of God has been given to us when we believe. There is no condemnation for us because as verse 24 says, we are justified by His grace as a gift. God doesn't remove our condemnation because we work so hard or because we follow the Ten Commandments. But God justifies us. He declares us not guilty. He takes all of our sin And God, instead of just making it go away and no one was punished for it, He put all our sin on Jesus, who was the propitiation, as it says in verse 25. He he removed the wrath of God and the anger of God for our sin. Jesus took that away from us. He took that away for us. And when He did that, He removed all condemnation. Look at chapter 4, verse 21 and 25. Romans 4, I'm sorry, 21 through 25. 
You know what? 22. Let's do 22. Chapter 4, 22. That is why his faith, talking about Abraham, was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus Christ died and rose again so that we wouldn't be condemned. So that we wouldn't be judged. So that we wouldn't be locked away in hell forever. Jesus took our condemnation from us by being condemned himself on that cross. Look at chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. How many of you know you can't have peace when you're condemned? But God has removed our condemnation. He has taken the death sentence upon Himself and He died so we wouldn't have to. And because we're not going to pay for our sin, we have peace with God. Look at chapter 5, 20 and 21. Chapter 5, 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Isn't that great? There's sin all over the world and God's grace comes. And it says it abounds, it increases, it overpowers sin. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, sin used to be our king. But now God in His grace is our king. Grace rules over us. Sin no longer rules over us. And so the death sentence, the punishment, the judgment, the condemnation is gone. Look at chapter 7, verse 5 and 6. Y'all, the curse has been broken. The curse of sin has been broken and we belong to Jesus. Chapter 7, 5 and 6. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law of God, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, wasn't that in chapter 8, verse 1? Now. Everyone say it with me. Now. Today, you, child of God, but now, verse 6 says, but now we are released from the law. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't obey the law, but it means that the curse of the law is gone. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. All right, so I'm not going to ask you to flip around anymore for at least a few minutes. So God removed our condemnation. This is a legal declaration. You know, most of us don't drive the speed limit. And as soon as we see the lights behind us, the law is first and foremost on our mind. Amen? Amen awful feeling. 
awful, awful feeling. Hits you like a ton of bricks, right? And you know you're going to have to pay. You know your insurance is going to go up. That, you, you, you know, you, you just know that, that, that you broke it. Unless you didn't. You just know that you broke it. And you just know there's going to be some type of judgment. Some type of penalty. And I tell you, the judgment and the penalty for your unrighteousness, for your sin, for your lying, for your sexual immorality, for, for, your, um, for your false worship, for your selfishness, Your punishment for all that sin, if you are in Christ, is gone. God and His law no longer stand over you, condemning you, because Jesus Christ died and rose again for our sin. So this pronouncement of no, the removal of condemnation, it, it, it has legal implications. You don't have to pay. You don't have to go to court. You're not going behind bars. You're not going to the electric chair. You're not going to be on probation. You don't have to pay the fine. You don't have to be called a felon for the rest of your life. Because there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is a pronouncement in God's courtroom. And the reason that we don't have the condemnation that we deserved is because we were crucified with Christ. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says that God's people were crucified with Christ. And because of that, we are free from any penalty or debt. Now, if you grew up in a Baptist circle... You might be familiar with the phrase eternal security or the idea of once you're saved, you're always saved. The church I grew up in, I didn't believe that. I just assumed it couldn't be true. I started going to this church 22 years ago when I was 17 years old, and they were teaching that here. And this church is not a Baptist church, but, but that is something that we hold in, in, in common with the Baptists. And I learned it here as, as a senior in high school that once you're in Christ, you're always in Christ. And here's why. Because once God removes the condemnation, He never puts it back on you because what Jesus Christ did was enough. If we are in Christ, we are not moving back and forth in and out of a state of judgment or condemnation. And this is for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is not for those who are in Allah. This is not for those at the Kingdom Hall. This is not those who worship and bow down to the federal government, to the nanny state, who expect the government to take care of them and do everything for them. Now, this is for people who know Christ. So, condemnation has been removed for all of those who are in Christ, but if you are not in Christ, your sins have not been forgiven... And condemnation awaits you, and you should be absolutely terrified. I hope you're uncomfortable if you're not in Christ, because you should be. But I tell you, you don't have to stay there. Because every person in this room who knows Christ and is saved was once sitting where you are. I was once on my way to hell. 
But God received me, a sinner who had nothing to offer. And that offer of forgiveness and eternal life is always available to everyone until they die. It is never too late for you. Anytime you can come to Christ, He removes your sin, He takes away your sin, He removes the condemnation. So if you don't have Christ, if you're not sure if you're saved or not, I tell you, you can be sure because it's about what Jesus did and His life and His death and His resurrection. It's not about how good you are. The truth is you're not good. You're evil. You've broken the law of God, but Jesus was good and He can change you if you believe in Him and you can believe in Him anytime you want. It's never too late until you take your last breath. So if you haven't believed in Him, would you believe in Him now? He will save you right where you are. You don't even have to come up front. You don't even have to raise your hand or stand up or say a prayer. You can just say, yes, Lord Jesus, right where you're at. He hears, He sees, He knows, and He will save. Let's go to verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What are these two laws? What is the law of the Spirit of life? What is the law of sin and death? Well, a lot of times in Romans 7 and 8, when we see the word law, it's talking about the law of God, particularly, you know, the commandments, the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. But here, in verse 2, as we saw in a few places in chapter 7, law can also mean like a rule or a principle or... Um, a dynamic, something that is in place. Verse 21, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 21, he says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I referenced that earlier. It's just a general truth that when God's people want to do right, we sense that there's evil and there's temptation near us. So I ask you this, what is the spirit of life? He's going to take all of chapter 8 to tell us that answer. So we're just going to scratch the surface on that question today. What is the spirit of life that has set us free? All of chapter 8 is going to tell us. And specifically, it means that the Holy Spirit gives us life. And you may have seen that in verses 10 and 11 in our discussion. The Spirit of God gives us life. So the the Spirit of life, look at verse 2, sets us free from the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? Well, look at Romans 7, verses 7 through 11. Look at Romans 7, 7 through 11. Paul says this, What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For if I would have not not known what it is to covet, if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Y'all, that's the law of sin and death. Sin takes God's good command. And, and seizes the opportunity and you sin. He says, uh, sin seizes... Uh, okay, verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So what is the law of sin and death? It is that sin took God's command and sin seized the opportunity and you sinned, you obeyed sin, and it caused death to come upon you. 
Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They disobeyed God and death came to them. It was spiritual death. The physical death didn't just smack them right then. It got them much later, many years, many decades, many centuries, at least in their case, later. But that's what the law of sin and death is. We sin and we die. But the law of the spirit of life undoes it all. Verse 2, it says that it sets you free from this cycle of sin and death. There's an end to our bondage, verse 2 tells us. There's an end to our bondage. So not only is condemnation lifted, not only can you walk out of the courtroom without having to serve time, you're also not a slave to sin anymore if you're in Christ. You no longer have to obey sin. When something on that computer calls you and it says, come and look at me, it'll be a lot of fun, you can say no to that. When that bottle at the convenience store two miles ahead of you calls out and says, you can just have one and you know you can't handle it. You can say no. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. God's Holy Spirit can control you so you don't have to curse out your sister anymore. But instead you can forgive her. God's Spirit calls you and gives you power to forgive her But sin calls you to punch her in the face. But now the Spirit of God in your life has set you free. You're no longer a slave to sin. And now you can do the right thing because the Holy Spirit is in you. There's an end to our bondage. Let me ask you, child of God, do you ever feel tied up like you can never change? Do you ever feel that you're going to be stuck in this awful place forever? Well, chapter 8, verse 2 says that you are free if you are in Christ. It says that you are free if you are in Christ. See, our feelings lie to us. Christians feel condemned all the time when we're not. Our feelings lie to us. And they create this invisible barrier between us and God. And it's like we can't see God. It's like God's not there because we know what we did yesterday. And God in his mercy says, yes, I know you sinned, but Jesus has taken it all. And there's nothing between us. It's all been covered and taken care of. You are free. Isn't that the best news you've ever heard? In this Christian life. You don't have to pay for the horrible thing that you did earlier today. Doesn't that just make you want to love God? See, some people think they can just go sin because that's true. And Paul said that's the stupidest idea anyone's ever come up with. Just go back and read chapter 6. But no, the very fact that God has forgiven it all, past, present, and future, and there's no judgment, there's no condemnation, there's nothing but freedom for you, that should propel us to love God who sets us free. In Mark chapter 9, there was a man who had a demon-possessed son. And he came to his disciples, and the disciples couldn't remove the demon. But then Jesus saw what was going on. He was at a distance. He went over there. He said, hey, what's going on? And, And the man said, your disciples couldn't heal my son. Can you do it? 
And then the man said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. See, here's what Christians are. We are people who believe the gospel. But we don't fully believe it. And throughout our Christian life, our faith in the gospel grows. Our faith in the gospel is strengthened. And the more and more that we understand God's free forgiveness, the more and more that we understand how far our judgment has been carried away from us, that we're never going to experience or know it or feel it. Over the years, our faith in the gospel increases. It grows stronger. And as it grows stronger, our love for God increases. The holiness in our life increases. Our ability to say no to temptation increases. And see, that man, he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's our prayer, too. Lord, we believe the gospel, but we haven't connected all the dots on the page of the gospel yet. God, I see it. I know I'm forgiven, but you know what? Three days last week out of seven, I didn't feel like it. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because nothing you ever do can be good enough, can it? But Christ, he was good enough. And all of his good enough, all of his righteousness is given to you when you believe in Christ. So now there's no condemnation. And now you have been set free, as verse 2 says, sin is not your master. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. God did what the law could not do. He brought righteousness. We saw in Romans 7 that the law of God told us what to do, but it didn't give us the power to do it. Well, all of Romans 8 is about the Spirit of God who gives us the power to do it. Who gives us power to obey? What's his name? Jesus. The Holy Spirit specifically. Yes, Jesus from other verses of Scripture is the right answer, but from these two verses, Romans 8, 3, and 4, the answer is the Holy Spirit. The answer is the Holy Spirit. So, let's look at verse 3. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. All right, don't forget, Paul talks about sin as if it's a person. We saw this beginning in chapter 6. We saw it uh, in chapter 7. He continues this in chapter 8. He treats sin as if it's a sneaky liar. And it is, okay? It comes up and smacks you in the head. It snuck up on you, and then it lies to you, and you never even know it's there until it's too late, right? Okay, so sin is a sneaky liar. Paul treats it as if it is a person And at the end of verse 3, Paul says that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. So Paul personifies sin. You see, sin in our life had brought our condemnation, right? We saw in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. We saw in Romans chapter 7, verse 11, we already read it earlier today, that um, sin used God's good commands and deceived us and killed us. Well, sin was alive and doing all these horrible things in us. 
Well, I tell you at the end of verse 3, the Bible says that Jesus condemned sin. See, sin had you condemned, right? Sin in your life was bringing us judgment. But Jesus stepped in and he condemned the very thing that condemned us. Jesus stepped in. He knew why we were guilty. And he went and he faced sin head on. And he is the only human, the only person that ever conquered sin. Do you see that in verse 3? It says he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was like us in the sense that he looked like us. And he was made of the same physical material matter stuff. He was born of the Virgin Mary. And he died a death like we're going to die, right? You know, so it was in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he did not have sinful flesh. His flesh was like ours in every way, except he didn't have any sin. So the reason that condemnation can be taken from us, the reason that our death sentence, you know, we were on death row, and if you're here, you're not in Christ, you're on death row. The reason we're no longer as Christians on death row anymore is because sin was already lynched. Sin was already strapped to the chair. Sin already stood in front of the firing squad and the triggers were pulled. God, sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, condemned Sin. And now that sin is condemned, it doesn't condemn us. Now that sin is condemned, it doesn't condemn us. Our captor has been apprehended. The one lurking for you and waiting to capture you is no longer hiding in front of you. God has removed him. I think about question number three for our discussions. How do we obey this passage or how should this passage transform us? You all, the unbelieving world tells you to say, I can do this. Everything's going to be okay. But the gospel tells us Christ has condemned my sin. The gospel tells us we have a hope and a future because Jesus has overcome our sin. You all, we have hope and we are no longer in bondage because Jesus died and rose again. As we believe this, as our faith in these promises grow, sanctification takes place. And as our catechism rightly says, our sanctification is our gradual growing righteousness. So the more and more that we believe this, the more and more we understand this, the more these truths sink in, the more we become like Jesus, the stronger we are against temptation. Look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4 shows us the purpose of what what verse 3 says. Why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus condemn sin? 
Verse 4 tells us, He condemned sin in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, not only does Jesus remove our condemnation, breaking the power of sin in us, but Christ also transforms us through the Holy Spirit. Theologians have identified something in the Bible called the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Jesus' perfect righteousness is imputed to you. It's given to you. It's, it's yours now. But it was a gift. That's the only reason you have it. And I believe that Paul has that in mind in this verse. But this verse is not only about you having Jesus' righteousness. This verse is also about your life becoming more righteous outwardly. This verse is about you just becoming a better person and being more obedient to God. See, not only does Christ remove our condemnation, breaking the power of sin's condemnation, but Christ also transforms us through his Holy Spirit. It doesn't say Christ transforms us, or or I don't say that Christ transforms us just because we decided to start living a better life or because we decided to stop doing drugs or we decided to stop beating our girlfriend. That's not how people change. Verse 4 tells us how people change. It is through God's Holy Spirit. Do you see that in verse 4? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk what? Not according to the flesh, which also means sinful nature, but according to what? According to the Holy Spirit. See, it's not that we can't obey God's law. It's not that we shouldn't obey. God's law has a purpose. It is holy, righteous, and good. Romans 7, 12 says, but God's law directs our daily walk with God. It shows us how to walk with God. It directs our sanctification, but the law of God does not empower us from day to day. The law of God, God's commands have told you what to do, but God's commands, the Ten Commandments have never helped you do anything right. The Ten Commandments have never helped you do anything right. Verse 4 is saying, through the Holy Spirit, you can obey the law. Do you see that? You can obey the law of God, but not in your own strength. You obey the law of God when the Holy Spirit is moving and flowing through you. Now, that may raise a lot of questions. How does that work, Pastor Kyle? I don't understand. I don't feel that way. How does that work? We're going to answer those questions, some of those questions next week, okay? And I'm looking forward to that. So the Spirit gives us power. We don't just get saved by God's Holy Spirit, but we're also transformed by God's Holy Spirit. Verse 4 says that God's righteous rules are fulfilled in us when we walk according to the Spirit. I I, I want to say something that it would let me say it like this. It would be easy to look at verse 4 and think, oh, this just means I have to follow all the rules. No, 
That's not what verse 4 is saying. Verse 4 is not a command for you to be obedient. It is a statement of fact. And we'll learn this more next week. If you have God's spirit, if you're a Christian, you will walk in it. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to walk in it all the time. Okay? More clarity coming next week. But verse 4 is a statement of fact. If you have God's spirit, you will walk in it. So next week, we're going to learn some things about how to evaluate our life. Are we really a Christian or not? How can I know for sure that I am a Christian? All right, those are important questions that we all need answers to, right? Well, the Bible is going to help us think through that. We're going to go there next week. You know what? I'm going to cut out some of what I had planned for today and save it for next week. God did what the law could not do. And he brought righteousness through the spirit. Now, let's switch gears for just a moment. Uh, Everything I've talked about so far has been very much personal me and God type stuff, right? I I, want to say that this promise about the Holy Spirit is a promise that God promised to the people of Israel. Back in the Old Testament. I have to point this out because I see it happening over and over and over again in Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. I told somebody earlier today, y'all better really enjoy Romans chapter 8 because Romans 9, 10, and 11 are going to be a lot of work. (laughs) Okay? Some chapters are easier than others, right? Romans 8 is fun. It's awesome. All right, you're going to want to dig into this and know what it says. It'll be easy to be motivated, motivated to dig into this. Well, I'm already studying 9, 10, 11. 9, 10, and 11 are hard. Romans 8 is going to encourage you. It's going to make you excited. Or you're going to have to work, jump through the hoops, and go to the gym for chapters 10 through 11. So just be prepared for that, okay? But it's all good news. It's all good news. Romans 8 is just fun. But Romans 9 through 11 is worth it. We're going to get to that. But here's here's what I'm trying to say. God made promises to Israel in the Old Testament. And the promises are fulfilled in the church. Now that goes against what a lot of us in here have been taught. By amazing, wonderful, godly people and previous pastors. Some of my former mentors. Who are also some of your former mentors. God... We're going to see this multiple times. God made a promise in probably close, at least a dozen places in the Old Testament where he said he would send his spirit to his people. Well, you know what? He didn't do that to ethnic Israel only. He did at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But God's spirit is given to his church. Not this brick and mortar and wood framed building, but his people who were gathered together and called to Jesus. Turn to Ezekiel, if you would, with me. Ezekiel 11, if you're using a blue Bible, it's page 779. Ezekiel is that part of the Bible that we rarely ever read. God is teaching me to read it more, and the more I do, the better it gets. Look at Romans 11. 
verse 19, it's on page 779. Romans 11, verse 19, it's on page 779 if you're using a blue... I'm sorry, Ezekiel. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. When my son laughs, I need to know I'm not being funny and that I got something wrong. <laughs> Ezekiel eleven nineteen, page seven. You know, I need to turn there too. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Why? Verse 20, that they may walk in my statutes. That's the law and the commands. That they may walk in my law and commands and statutes and keep my rules and obey them. That was the law given to the people of Israel, but it's been fulfilled in the people of the church. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, 27. Actually, 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. If I have another son, I might name him Ezekiel. So Ezekiel 36, 26. God says to Israel, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I want you to know that everything we see in Romans 8 is the fulfillment of a promise that God gave to Israel 800 years before that. Y'all, God is always faithful in fulfilling his promises. In Romans 8, and everything in it, in the Spirit of God in your life today, God spoke about that 2,800 years ago to a man who was just like us named Ezekiel. You all, that's beautiful. So today, if you are a child of God, I want you to believe Romans 8, 1 through 4. I want you to change the way you think and not think as much the way you used to think, but change the way you think that is in agreement with these truths that you've been set free. I want, when sin comes all over you, I want you to say to it, there's no condemnation and I don't have to obey you because Jesus is my Savior. Can y'all say that to temptation this week? When you want to yell at your kids, when you want to smack your spouse, when you want to pull your hair out, when you're discontent, when you're selfish, whatever your thing is. Man, it's so funny when I list specific sins the way y'all look at each other. I love it. (laughs) I'm going to wear a body cam sometimes so y'all can see this stuff. I have a hard time keeping a straight face sometimes. But when all those feelings and emotions come over you, You can look at your Savior, and you can say to sin, go away. You're not in charge, because my Savior killed you. Let's pray.